Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. My name's Donnie. I am one of the elders here. I'm going to read our scripture this morning. And uh, if you've been here much at all, you've heard, I'm sure it said that we are a church of the Word and Spirit. We value God's Word highly and the work of His Spirit amongst us and amongst the church. And so uh, I encourage you, um, it's a, a, a privilege and a benefit to us that we have technology in such a way is that you can see Scripture on the screen, but I want to encourage you to not be dependent on seeing that. And as you come, bring your own copy of the scriptures so that you can follow along. You may like to mark in your Bible uh, as you read. Maybe it reminds you of things you've read before. You may have it electronically. Um, I do this morning. I tell people not because I'm somehow technologically advanced, but I can make the font big enough for me to be able to read. Uh, and so I, if I get the large print in the Bible, I have to have a backpack to carry it uh, so I can increase the font. But we're going to read uh, in the book of Ruth. We're going to read chapter 2 this morning, and if you would follow along. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz says to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that I should, that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord." the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. 
And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where, do you, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not taken, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thank you, Donnie. Good morning, everybody. Um, If you have been in a relationship with someone where you're close to them for any length of time, you have probably had at least one, maybe two occasions where you thought to yourself, maybe even said to them, you know, you're not, you're just not acting like yourself. You're out of character. You're, you're acting in a way that's inconsistent with who I know you to be. That happens to all of us, right? We all act out of character, inconsistent at times. But how many of you understand, never will it be said of God, you know, he's just not himself. So you might be asking, well, why, why are we looking at the book of Ruth during the Christmas season, during Advent? Well, we thought it would be cool to look at this Old Testament story. It's, it's not a story, it really happened. Um, and look for the consistent character of God. Because the same God that works in the life of Naomi and Ruth is also the God who sent his son and worked in the life of Mary and Joseph to be his vessels through which the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we, we, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, right? So we're looking at, so what we'll do is we'll live in chapter two, like we lived in chapter one last week. When we get to the end, we're going to look at the consistent character of God also in the Christmas story and how it parallels. Sound good? All right, so last week, Naomi and Ruth experienced a mountain of tragedy and loss and death and, and difficulty in just a few verses of chapter one. We read about a famine that caused Naomi and her husband Elimelech to move from Judah, from Bethlehem, to this foreign land called Moab. So that, that's 
traumatic enough in and of itself. It's not raining in Judah, but it's raining in Moab, so we got to go there. So they move to a foreign place, foreign people, pagan people. And while they're there, Elimelech dies. Naomi's a widow. Another tragedy. Then after Elimelech dies, Naomi's two sons take Moabite wives. One's named Ruth, one's named Orpah. They marry, and 10 years of childlessness later, that's a tragedy in and of itself, Malon and Chilion, Naomi's boys, die. And now there's three widows in Moab. One of them's in the foreign territory. The famine relents, and Naomi and, and Ruth ends up accompanying her back to Bethlehem. Orpah turns back. But Naomi and Ruth come back, and there's just this incredible sense of heaviness and despair that leads Naomi to say things like this. Look at the end of verse 13 in chapter 1. She says, The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Look at the last part of verse 20. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Then verse 21, she says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. She says, why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? And this is what we said last week. Naomi is not fuzzy about the sovereignty of God, is she? She blames no one for her circumstances other than Yahweh himself. God has done this. Here's her problem. She cannot see the sweet providence of God in the midst of her bitter circumstances. You ever felt that way? Things are so bitter and you find yourself even crying out to God, Lord, what are you doing? What is wrong? What have I done? To deserve this? Are you mad at me? Have you turned your back on me? Have you taken your hands off my life? Why else would this be happening? And sometimes because of that kind of despair, we're blinded. We're blinded to the sweet providence of God that's always there. God never changes. He's never, I've used a double negative in the first service. I'm going to do it right now. Fair warning. Okay, but you know what I mean. He's never not there. He's always there. He never leaves us. And he's always working. And he's always working for his children, never against them. There's not a moment in your life, if you're a child of God, where God is working against you. He's always working for your good. And that's hard to see, isn't it, when the dark seasons come? It's hard to see that. And I think we struggle with seeing and savoring the sweet providence of God, not in spite of, not on the other side of, but in the middle of the dark seasons. Because we don't know how to rejoice in his providence without minimizing or trivializing our pain. I don't think we have to do that. I don't think the Bible calls me to do that. I think I can cry and rejoice at the same time. That's a new category of thought that the Bible creates for me is that I can rejoice and weep at the same time. This is sad. This stinks. This is painful. This is the worst season in my life, and yet I taste peace. I feel hope. You know, these are not, these are not 
experiential realities that just sort of float out there in the cosmos, these are anchored to the character of God. We hope, because he's a God who never breaks his promises, we have peace because God turned the war against sin on himself. And he exhausted his own wrath in his son. We have peace. Amen? Naomi can't see that right now because it's just so hard. The truth is, even though Naomi's experienced tremendous loss, she has not come back empty, has she? Has she come back empty? No. I mean, for one thing, God calls the famine to relent that got her back on the move home. The The other thing is, she's got Ruth. This amazingly devoted and loving daughter-in-law who looked at her and said, I'm not turning back. I'm going where you go. I'll die where you die. And your God will be my God. Apparently, Naomi has also forgotten. She's failing to see the gift of Ruth and the gift of... She does attribute the, the famine relenting to Yahweh But she's failing to recognize God's hand of provision in the midst of all these bitter circumstances. And she's forgotten there's a kinsman in Bethlehem. There's this Jewish custom that when a a man dies, his widow could be married by a brother or the nearest of kin. And she would be redeemed along with the property and assets. And so it it was a way that God made provision for widows in this culture. If you're a widow in, at this time in history in particular, you're among the poorest and most vulnerable in society. That's just a fact. But Naomi's forgotten. There's a kinsman, Bethlehem. His name's Boaz. We're about to meet him. There's another tradition codified in the law that's also in play here, and it was the tradition of gleaning. So if you're poor, if you're widowed, for example you could go to the fields at harvest time and the plants on the edge of the field, according to Old Testament law, were to be left for the poor. The harvesters would harvest everything else, but they leave the edges for the poor. They would also leave the gleanings, which anything they dropped or anything they just missed could also be gathered by the poor for free. They couldn't be told to stop doing that. That was provided for them in the law. Now, these two Jewish customs are all about to culminate in this guy named Boaz. Let's look at it. Ruth takes initiative. Verse 2, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and and, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened... It's trickling. I hear a laugh. She happened. Does anything happen by happenstance? It's like the Bible says, the steps of a righteous man are, they're in order. Nothing happens by accident. And, and it's easy to sort of amen that in church. I think we forget that. You're not where you are by accident, good or bad, circumstantially what's going on. Nothing has happened to you apart from the sovereignty of God. There's not a raindrop that falls. I really believe this, and it, shatter, it shakes some people. There's not a raindrop that falls. There's not a virus or a bacteria that comes about apart from his hand. He's in control of all 
things. And if you don't cling to that, you're never going to have the kind of peace that the Bible talks about. Even in calamity. No, she didn't just happen to go to Boaz's field. This is what God intended. He's of the clan of Elimelech. So she says to Naomi, let me just go and see in whose sight I will find favor. And lo and behold, she ends up in the field of Boaz. Who is Boaz? Verse 1 of chapter 2 says he's a worthy man. I'd, I'd circle that, underline that if you write in your Bibles. It's actually two Hebrew words. The ESV translates it worthy. One word means wealthy. So this guy's got money. He's an industrious man. The other means strong or valiant. If you ever wanted romance in your Bible, here you go. This is the knight in shining armor if there ever was one. He is a valiant, brave, protector, provider, generous, kind. He is just everything ladies should want in a man. Okay? Boaz is that. He's strong and he's a provider. He's a protector. He's also a godly man. He's also a godly man. I don't know how many single people are in here today, but ladies, never settle for a man who's not a man of God. Never settle for that. Don't try to change him. That's not your job. Boaz, look at what the writer of Ruth tells us. Verse 4, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to his reapers, his employees, his employees, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. That just seems like such a random little detail. Why would the author put that in there except that they're trying to tell us something about Boaz? This is a godly man who he's, he's industrious, he's successful, probably doesn't have time to mess around or mince words or chit-chat, but he takes the time. He doesn't have to do this. He looks at his employees and says, the Lord be with you. And in what feels like such a sincere response, they say, the Lord bless you, Boaz. They don't work for a harsh man. They don't work for a stingy man. They work for a generous, godly man, and he's well-respected by the people that work for him. And Boaz, he notices Ruth. Guys, who's that woman? Who, who is that? Who is she? He, he, takes, he takes notice of her, and now we get some detail about the character of Ruth. I, when you read the Bible, you should come away in awe of God. But I come away from this in awe of Ruth. What a godly woman. And I'm not even sure how much she knows about Yahweh yet. She knows enough. But my goodness, look at this. The servant who was in charge of the reapers, verse 6, answered Boaz and says, that's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, look at this, please let me glean. Does she have to ask? It's provided in the law. Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. It's two things I see about Ruth. She's not a victim. She's not acting like a victim. You know how you smell out a victim? They're entitled. This is what's owed me. I deserve better than this. They look to point 
and, and place the blame on their circumstances on everybody else and they're expecting handouts. That's what a victim does. She's not a victim. She doesn't even have to ask. It's provided for her in the law that she can glean and yet in humility, humility is the opposite of entitlement because entitlement and pride are all interwoven together. In humility, she comes to the reapers and says, can I please glean from the fields? And they give her permission. And you know what she does? She makes the most of the opportunity. She's not lazy. She works hard. The reapers say, Boaz, she came early this morning and she has not stopped except for a quick break. Now imagine, just imagine, if Ruth, I don't want to principalize this too much, but I just couldn't help but think about this. Imagine if Ruth had come to those reapers with an entitled attitude, complaining and whining about her circumstances, and then when they have pity on her and let her glean, she just sits and, and doesn't really even take advantage of the opportunity. So when Boaz shows up and he goes, who's that woman? They say, oh, it's that Moabite woman that comes back with Naomi, but she showed up this morning whining and complaining. We told her she could glean but she hasn't gleaned even near what she could have because she's been sitting over there twiddling her thumbs. How has Boaz have responded to that? You know, whether you're in a dark season or not, humility and hard work, I think are the marks of Christians. I think they're, they are things that should mark the Christian life. We're not entitled Nobody owes us anything. We're humble, we're grateful people who when the Lord opens a door, we seek to maximize it. That's what Paul said in Ephesians. He said, in evil days, don't get drunk with wine and waste your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit and with wisdom and make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Amen? That's what I see in Ruth. Ruth, you know, Boaz is a man of industry, but so is Ruth. Good for her. She's a woman to model yourself after, ladies. Godly woman. It's so sweet to see the character of Ruth and Boaz collide. Look at verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, so tender. Do not go to glean in any other field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? When you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz's generosity is just pouring out of him. It's who he is. I love that. He's not forcing it. He's just a generous, kind, strong man. He's caring for Ruth. Now look how Ruth responds. Verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why? I don't think she's that impressed with Boaz as, as much as she does not think of herself as having deserved this at all. Yes, Boaz is an impressive man, but she's not bowing down because she just thinks he is the greatest thing since sliced bread. She's bowing down because she's overwhelmed with something she doesn't think she deserves. Look at this. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you would take notice of me since I am a foreigner? You know what she feels? Unmerited favor. 
Does that sound familiar? That's what grace is. Unmerited favor. Now listen to Boaz's response. There's grace all over this. Verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Stop right there. That's a, ma- that's a fascinating statement. If... if, if If we didn't have that last line, it would sound like Boaz is looking at Ruth and saying, I know your good deeds. I know what you've done for Naomi and how you've abandoned your homeland and your family to come and stay with her. Now the Lord repay you like an employee, like one of these reapers that works for me. The Lord repay you for your kindness. It's Kind of like the what goes around comes around thing. But then he adds this statement, which to me says Boaz is thinking way deeper than that about this. May the Lord repay you under whose wings you have come to take refuge. How many of you understand a mother hen does not take her chicks under her wings because they earned it? She does it because they're her chicks, Right? you've raised small children, you know this. There's not much they earn except for just being cute and they're yours, right? It's funny seeing the children nod. That's right, that's right, that's right. (laughs) I think Boaz is certainly, in in one sense, he is lauding what he's learned about Ruth. Ruth's character is to be celebrated, Amen. But I think he sees something more. I think he sees that God's at work here. God is doing something. God has brought her to Israel, and it's under God's wings that she is taking refuge. Remember, we said God had to do something in Ruth. He had to do something in Ruth for a Moabite, an idolatrous pagan woman raised in a pagan land, To look at Naomi, who's the only thing that's coming out of her mouth is, God's dealt bitterly with me. He's brought me back empty. His hand has gone out against me. And Ruth looks at Naomi and says, that God, your God, will be my God. I'm convinced God's done something in Ruth. Something powerful. And I think Boaz, a godly man, wealthy, generous, yes, a man of character who recognized character, In another person, I think he's also seeing, Ruth, the hand of the Lord is all over you. You're doing something great, but God's up to something great. Do they fully understand it? No. Do they have a fully developed theology of grace? No. But both of them, both of them are demonstrating the kind of humility and gratitude that comes out of people who get grace. Ruth says, verse 13, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. It's her saying again, I don't deserve this. I didn't earn this. And yet you're blessing me. 
Boaz's generosity just keeps overflowing. He lets her, <coughs> excuse me, he lets her glean some more. And then he invites her to dinner. It's kind of like a first date. It's okay. It's, it, this is a romantic story. He invites her to dinner. And I want you just to get your head around this. A widow at this time, like I said, is among the, the poorest and the most vulnerable. She's going out to glean just so her and Naomi can survive. That's, that's really the only provision for them is she can get the crumbs from the harvester's table. That's their expectation, hers and Naomi's. But Boaz says, no, you come to dinner and dip your morsel in the wine. Can you imagine what she's feeling and thinking right there? And then she eats until she's satisfied. She, listen, we, we don't feel like we've eaten unless we're so full we can't hardly you know, think straight, right? <laughs> Naomi and, and Ruth are just looking to glean off the scraps. And now Boaz says, no, you eat until you're full. And then he says, guys, go get some of the bundles of barley. Let her glean in the fields more uh, the rest of the day and let her glean out of those bundles that you've already gathered. And all told, she gets an ephah of barley, which... If, if, if you look that up, it's about 30 pounds of barley she comes home with after she's eaten and is fully satisfied. Can you imagine what she's feeling and thinking? This is just day one in Bethlehem. After all that tragedy in chapter one, do you see how the clouds of despair have begun to part? Now the question is, is Naomi going to see it? Is Naomi going to see it? Ruth gets home. She tells Naomi about all that's happened, about her big, long day with Boaz. She tells him, she tells her about Boaz and all that's happened, and then look what she says. This is how Naomi responds in verse 20, chapter 2. And Naomi said, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead, Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. You can almost hear her going, oh, yeah, Boaz, right? I remember him. We know him. He's one of our redeemers. She doesn't press that too far yet. She's going to play a little matchmaker in chapter 3. She doesn't press that too far yet. She just says, Ruth, you stay with him. He's one of our redeemers. He's one of our family members. You'll be safe with him. This is good. But then she also sees something else. Look at verse 20 again, the first part. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. There's two ways to read that. One is, may he, parentheses Boaz, be blessed by Yahweh, whose, parentheses, Boaz's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. As if she's praying Boaz will be blessed and she's lauding Boaz's kindness and generosity. I don't think that's what she's saying. Here's the other way to read it. May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose, Yahweh's, kindness has not forsaken 
the living or the dead? I think Naomi is connecting the dots. I think she's going, Boaz, right. He's one of our redeemers. And wait a minute. Yes, may he be blessed because it's through him that God is being kind to us and generous to us, the living. And what about the dead? What does she mean by that? I think she is realizing God never left us. God never turned his back on us. God's hand didn't go out against me. The the Lord's hand wasn't dealing bitterly with me. Yes, my circumstances were bitter, but he had this planned all along. He had this lined up all along that we would come back here and Boaz would be the conduit through which the Lord's kindness would be tasted by us. I think something massive dawns on her right here and she goes, even when I thought all hope was lost, he was there the whole time. You know, listen, hope is realized when you you know, and it's deep down in your knower, God never breaks his promises. Right? Never. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm living in the promise that he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me. Sometimes I feel forsaken. Guess what Jesus did too? Didn't he? But you know what? Go back and read Psalm 22. That's where that Jesus is quoting from Psalm 22 when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you keep reading that Psalm. I think Jesus hung up on that cross and he's thinking Psalm 22. Because that Psalm continues on, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You won't. I might feel forsaken, but you're not going to abandon my soul to Sheol because that's not who you are. Sometimes in the night seasons, hope is realized when we remember God never changes. The same God that I lifted my hands and cried happy tears when when he blessed and provided and protected and open doors of opportunity is still the same God when I feel like every door is being shut in my face and nothing's going right, my health's breaking down, my relationships are falling apart, my business is falling apart, I'm sick in my body. He's still the same God. And your circumstances do not challenge his character. And I think the peace that passes understanding That's tasted when that, when the reality of God's consistent character washes over you. I think that's what's happening for Naomi. Can you taste the peace that she's feeling in this moment when she goes, oh, Boaz. God was there the whole time. Even when I thought he had left me. The old prophet Malachi These were some of the final words of prophecy that Israel heard in the Old Testament. Malachi 3, verse 1. 
Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then 400 years of silence. 400 years of a nation and individuals that made up that nation just trying to do everyday life holding on to old dusty promises that he would come, he will come. Can you imagine some of the hopelessness that Israel felt during that period? The lack of peace when they were conquered, occupied by Rome. And then an angel shows up to Mary. Says, Mary, you're going to have a miraculous pregnancy. Oh man, that's great. God's showing up. He's going to do something awesome for the nation, for his people, for the world. But yeah, I got to go tell Joseph that I haven't committed adultery. God, I've got to tell my parents and my my friends and my neighbors, Mary's got to live through that. Doesn't that seem a little bit like Ruth and Naomi? God's doing something. It's bigger than they can conceive and they're just having to live through it and trust through it. Mary had to do the same. She goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. That's a fascinating story. You should go back and read that, Luke 1. I'll read you a little bit of what happened for Mary. She sees Elizabeth, and the Spirit comes on her. and She begins to prophesy. Listen to her words. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. You see how Mary just sort of zooms out? The Spirit helps her zoom out from her immediate present circumstances to see or at least perceive a bit of the bigger picture. What's the bigger picture? This is who God is. He's always this. He's always this way because he's consistent. He's a God who's merciful to those who fear him. He's a God who puts his power and strength on display in ways that cause the proud to be humble and the humble to be exalted. That's just who he is. This is a God who exalts the humble and fills those who are hungry with good things. And he's a God who never, ever, ever abandons his people. You are not forsaken. And, and if you feel that way, you feel that way. Let the story of Ruth and Naomi, let the Christmas story cause you to just pray, God, I'm not asking you 
think this is such a sweet prayer. I'm not asking you to help me ignore the bitter. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking for that. I, I, don't, I don't think God says, look, when it hurts, I'll make it stop. But I do think he says, when it hurts, I'll show you who I am in the midst of it. So God, help me taste the sweet providence of your mighty hand in the midst of my bitter circumstances. Regardless of what those circumstances are, you might feel like you're to blame. You might feel like someone else is to blame. You might feel like you just happened to end up here. Truth is, God's working. That's, that's where you anchor. That's where you stand. That's the solid rock that we stand on. Is God is always working. And if I'm his, he's never working against me. He never leaves me. He never abandons me. So, Lord, help me see. Help me have one of those, oh, Boaz, moments. Do Ruth and Naomi have all their questions answered? Are they still widows? Can they taste the sweet providence of God? And can't you feel the peace that's washing over them in the middle of that? That's what I pray for all of us this morning. Let's stand. Never, oh Lord, would I, would I want to come across as if I I'm trivializing pain. I never want to do that. I never want to come across that way. Because you don't do that. You don't look at us in our weakness and in our suffering and just say, suck it up. It's not that bad. No, what you do is you, <laughs> you make yourself known. in really sweet ways that sometimes I'm blind to. You whisper, I'm here. When I'm crying and I'm complaining, how often do I miss your voice just sweetly, tenderly saying, look, I'm here. I've never left. I'm doing something good, but you're going to have to trust me. I pray that you would give us that kind of faith and that in that faith we would experience the spiritual blessings of hope and peace. Peace that doesn't make sense. We can't explain it. When people ask us, how are you in such peace in the middle of such a raging storm? I don't know. I can't explain it except to tell you I know God is with me. God is with me. He's never left me. You have not forsaken the living or the dead. So Lord, bless your people with your peace. Just like you said to your disciples, Jesus, after you rose from the dead, they were scared, fearing for their life. They didn't know what was next. And you just appeared and said, peace. You give us supernatural peace and we receive it today by faith. And I pray that that peace would radiate off of us as we scatter as we go into the world, as we go about our lives, I pray that peace would be a reflection of your glory and your goodness to others so that more men and women may be drawn to you. 
We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.